All right, well, hey, everyone. Uh, last weekend, we opened our 12th campus out in Maplewood, and we had almost 1,800 adult or people come to that campus, which is absolutely unbelievable. 1,800 people, this is actually not maybe a great thing, but at every service, we had people in the cafe, in the lobby, overflow space, and the really cool part was I met so many families who were there for the first time. Met this one family who had to park a mile away. Think about this. All the parking spots were full. They had to park on the street a mile away. They had a toddler, and they had a baby in a stroller, and they had never been to our church before. I mean, you talk about a first experience. I mean, the guy walking up, he's like holding his toddler for a mile just to get into church. And so we were doing everything we could to get people like that into the room to experience what God wants to do in their life. Absolutely so appreciate our volunteers. And for all of you out at Maplewood, welcome to you in week two. Uh, today we are continuing on in a series called Burn the Ships. And as you heard last week, it comes from a story that took place in history. A man named Hernan Cortez set sail from Spain to the New World. His mission was to try to establish a Spanish settlement there. But when he landed, he realized he was outnumbered about 7,000 to 1, which made his order to his men even more surprising. He said, burn the ships. And as his men stood there and watched the 11 ships go up in flames, the message was crystal clear. There's no turning back. There's no plan B. It's not like if we can't establish this settlement, we'll just hop on the ship and go back to Spain. That wasn't an option. They had burned the ships. And so the question we've been asking in this series, is there anything like that in your life? Is there anything in your life that you need to say, you know what, I don't want to go back to that old life anymore. And so I'm going to burn the ships. I'm going to take away my options of going back to my old life before Christ. Let me just give you an example of this. When my wife and I were first married, the best piece of a marriage advice that we received as, as newlyweds was this, eliminate the D word. And so we just have done that. We have never say the word divorce. We don't threaten divorce. We're not like, well, fine, if that's how you feel, then why don't you just divorce me? We, we've burned that ship. We're either going to be happily married or unhappily married. Those are our two options. It's amazing how motivated you are to work on your marriage when those are your only two options. We've burned the ship of going back to our old single life. And maybe you're here today and you're like, well, I went through a divorce or I had a relationship end and it was a painful experience. Maybe the ship that you need to burn is guilt or shame. Maybe it's a feeling of being unlovable. Maybe it's a sense of failure in your life that you need to say, you know what, I'm going to burn that ship so that I can take a step forward with God. Many times, if you want to take a step forward, the first step that you need to take is to ensure that you don't take a step backwards. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Elijah, and he was a legend. He was one of the most famous prophets that Israel has ever known, but now he was nearing the end of his life. And so God came to Elijah and said, I have chosen your successor. It's a man named Elisha. That's confusing. Elijah and Elisha. This is like when Kirsten says, I'm turning it over to Kristen. We have a bunch of Kirstens and Kristens on our staff. I'm like, what is it, a Kirsten or a Kristen? I can never remember. This is very confusing. 
What was maybe even more confusing to Elijah the prophet is that Elisha was a farmer. You don't see a lot of farmers become prophets. That's not a normal career arc. But God doesn't look at titles. God looks at the heart. And so God said to Elijah the prophet, I want you to pass the mantle of your leadership on to Elisha the farmer. And the way he did that was rather unique. Elijah had a cloak that he would wear draped over his shoulders. It was symbolic of his ministry. And so while Elisha was out plowing his field, Elijah walked up, took the cloak off, and placed it onto Elisha's shoulders, essentially saying in that moment, I'm passing the mantle of leadership on to you. And I want to read to you what Elisha did in that moment. It says, Elisha took the team of oxen, and he slaughtered them. With the oxen's wood yoke and plow, he cooked the meat and gave it to the people, and they ate. So just picture this for a moment. Here's this farmer. He's out plowing his fields. All of a sudden, he gets this mantle of leadership, and he kills the oxen. He rips apart the yoke and his plow, and he starts a fire, and he starts cooking the meat over the fire. And then it says, then he left and followed Elijah and served him. Elisha didn't burn a ship, but he burned the plow. And in that moment, what he was saying was, I'm not going back to that life. That was the day that Elisha the farmer became Elisha the prophet. In his book, All In, author Mark Batterson says this. He said, it doesn't matter whether you're trying to lose weight, get into grad school, write a book, start a business, or get out of debt. The first step is always the longest and hardest. And you can't just take a step into the future, he says. You have to eliminate the possibility of moving backwards into the past. You may not burn a plow. My guess is you're not going to. You're not going to burn a ship. But here's the question I want to ask you. What is it in your life? Do you need to say, I'm done with that? I'm not going back to that life. I'm not going back to that behavior ever again. Today's message is titled, Letting Go of Regrets. I have a lot of regrets in my life. I regret buying a blue blazer for my senior year pictures in high school. Actually, I don't regret that at all. I think it looks amazing. Uh, I do regret growing my hair out after college. This is a terrible look on me. Just a terrible look. I apologize to my parents and everybody else who had to look at me for that six months to a year of my life. I also have some more recent regrets. In fact, just a few weeks ago, I was speaking here at church, and right before the 11 o'clock service, I went to the bathroom. And I came out to speak, and about a minute into my message, I just knew. I don't know how I knew. I don't know if people in the front were like whispering and giggling and pointing, but I just knew, Jason, you forgot to zip up your pants. <laughs> and so I tried to be real slick about it. I tried to be real sly about it. I, I kind of walked over to the iPad. And I thought no one would notice. (laughs) 
But after the service, one of our video directors for our online feed came up to me. He's like, I'm so sorry. I was in a wide shot when you did that. <laughs> and so somebody said, what, what service do you want to post online? And he yelled from the back. He's like, not the 11 o'clock. <laughs> I regret that. I regret that the first ever albums that I ever bought was Whitney Houston and Michael Bolton. I followed that up with Metallica and Ice Cube. So clearly I was a very confused kid at that time. I also have some more serious regrets. My oldest son is 18. He's a senior in high school. He'll be going off to college or something else next year. And I remember when he was born, people would say to me, it's going to go so fast. And it really has. But when he turned 18, I started to get a little reflective and I realized that I had some regrets. I remember when he was little, I remember thinking, I'm going to take him out to dinner once a week. I'm going to teach him about the Bible and about Jesus. And then we started having other kids, and kids got involved in activities, and that was hit and miss at best. And I regret the times I took my stress out on him, especially at night when I just wanted kids to go to bed. I really regret some of the times when I pushed him too hard in something like sports. Let me ask you, what are the regrets that you have in your life? Some people will say, well, I don't have any regrets. That's kind of the mantra of our day. No regrets. You'll hear a celebrity or someone talking and they'll say, I don't have any regrets. Everything that's happened to me has made me stronger. It's made me the person that I am today. And I understand that sentiment. I, I, I see some of the truth in that sentiment, but I also think it suppresses reality. I resonate much more with what King David said in Psalm 34, verse 8. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me. It's overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. As a pastor, I get the opportunity to talk to people when they're honest and vulnerable a lot. And I can't tell you how many times I've been talking to a person and they're like, I, I just wish I wouldn't have said those words. I don't know why. I just, it just came out of my mouth, and it hurt that person so badly. I regret that so much. I talk to people all the time who are like, I regret posting that. I regret sending that email. I was just so mad, and I was so angry, and I knew I should have paused, but it just felt so good to hit send. And then it didn't feel so good later. Talk to people who say, I, I wish I wouldn't have gone to that party. I wish I wouldn't have gotten behind the wheel. I wish I wouldn't have spent money on that. Some of the saddest ones are when I talk to people and they say, I would do anything to go back. I would do anything to go back and make a different decision in that moment. If I could just go back and erase that hookup, erase that relationship, I would just, I would do anything if I could go back and I could undo that moment in my life. I would do anything. Daniel Pink, an author who wrote in the Wall Street Journal, says that regret is the second most common emotion that human beings experience. I mean, just think about that. Of all the emotions that you could be carrying with you on a daily basis, studies show that regret is the second most common. I think the reason why is because nobody is immune from the pains of life. All of us have either hurt another person, we've been hurt by another person, and just because you pump yourself up and say no regrets, it doesn't take the pain away, does it? You can't trick your soul. 
Steve Jobs, when he was 56 years old, was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage four. He knew he was dying. And so his daughter, Linda, came to see him one weekend, essentially to say goodbye. And at one point, he looked at his daughter and he said, I didn't spend enough time with you when you were little. And then he said, and now it's too late. The pain of that. Of going, I, I, here's what I should have done. Here's what I didn't do. And now it's too late. There's no way I can go back and reverse that. And he looked at her and with tears in his eye, he said, I owe you one. She said all weekend, he kept saying that phrase to her, I owe you one. Here's the truth. You're not over your past if it's still impacting your present. In the New Testament, there was two of Jesus's followers, disciples that made big mistakes and experienced a fair amount of regret. And it actually happened on the same night. It started when Judas, one of Jesus's disciples, went to some religious leaders and he agreed to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So the religious leaders gave him 30 pieces of silver and he said, okay, I'll lead the soldiers right to where Jesus is. And Jesus was praying in this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane and through the trees you could see the glow of the torches. And Judas led the soldiers right to where Jesus was. He greeted him with a kiss and the soldiers sprung into action. But Judas was not the only one of the disciples to experience some regret that night. Peter was having a conversation with Jesus and Adamantly, Peter said, Jesus, I am never going to deny you. I'm never going to betray you. I don't care if you get arrested. I don't care if you are killed. I'm with you every step of the way. And Jesus looked at him. And he said, not only are you going to deny me once. Not only are you going to deny me twice. You're going to deny me three times. And then, in, in what must have been rather odd in the moment, Jesus said to Peter, and on the third time that you deny me, you're going to hear a rooster crow. And so Peter followed behind after Jesus was arrested at kind of a safe distance. Jesus was brought to the high priest, and so Peter stood outside in the courtyard. It was a public courtyard. He was warming himself by the fire. And all of a sudden, this woman across kind of the glow of the fire, she looked at Peter and said, wait a minute. Weren't you one of those guys that was with Jesus? And Peter said, no, I, I, no, I, I, I don't even know him. And then a little bit later, somebody else said, no, I, I'm pretty sure I saw you with Jesus. And Peter said, nope, don't know the man. And then a third time, someone asked Peter, they said, hey, I... I swear, I saw you with him. You were one of his disciples. And Peter, for a third time, denied even knowing Jesus. And then he heard it. A rooster crowed. And I think by the province and the sovereignty of God, right at that moment, Jesus was being led out of the residence of the high priest. And right as Peter denied him for a third time, Jesus looked at him. And here's what it says in Luke 22. It says, at that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Imagine that moment of eye contact. It says, suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows, tomorrow morning, you will deny three times 
that you even know me. And it says, Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Imagine that moment when Jesus and Peter's eyes lock with one another and the regret that Peter must have felt in that moment. He wasn't the only one. A little bit later in Matthew 27, verse 3, it says, When Judas realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. What a phrase. No need to raise any hands, but how many of us here would say, I am filled with remorse? There is something in your past, when you think back to it, it's just something wells up with you, and you're all, oh. and you could feel it. Judas tried to make it right. He went back to the religious leaders. He said, I'm giving the money back. I don't want this anymore. But the religious leaders didn't care. They said, the deed's been done. Judas tried to make it right, but he couldn't. And you can't. And I can't. Two men, two betrayals. But if you know the end of the story, two vastly different endings. Judas took his own life. The remorse that filled him ultimately killed him. Peter repented, says that he wept bitterly, and his tears were not just tears that he was sad because he got caught. Look what the Bible says about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. It says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. And what does it leave? It leaves no regret. In other words, it is possible to live a life of no regret. Not by pumping yourself up and saying, oh, I have no regrets. It's when you have a sense of godly sorrow that brings with it repentance. And God says that is going to lead you to a life of no regret. But what does worldly sorrow do? Worldly sorrow brings death. His point in this verse is there's two different kinds of sorrow. There's worldly sorrow, there's godly sorrow, and worldly sorrow might have tears. The person might be super upset and they seem like they're really affected by this, but if you were able to look into their soul, what you would find is they are sad they got caught. They're sad about the consequences. They're sad about how this is messing up their life. And that worldly sorrow leads to a death. But then there's godly sorrow. And if you ever have someone who's coming to you and they're apologizing and they're upset, here's the two things you need to look for. The first one is, are they accepting responsibility? Are they accepting responsibility? Or are they like, well, you know, I mean, you did this and then they did this and my parents did this and here's all the reasons why I did what I did. Are they willing to own it and say, you know what? I have to accept responsibility. That's the number one thing you should look for. The second thing you should be looking for is, is there godly sorrow? In other words, are they sad because they sinned against God and they hurt this other person, not just sad that they got caught? And the way you know is not tears. It's not emotion. It's action. Repentance has action. Repentance is when a person says, I'm going to go see a counselor. I'm going to check myself into treatment. I'm going to do whatever it takes to burn that ship because I'm not going to go back to that life. I'm not going to go back to that behavior. And the person is willing to do it, not just for a day, 
not just for a week, a month, or even a year. They're willing to do that for the rest of their life. Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads you to a life of no regret. It means you can get done watching this message and you can go, you know what, God, it is possible. It's possible for me to be clean and forgiven and to walk out of here with no regrets. And I want to give you two truths. And I I truly believe if you can internalize these two truths, you, you can be a brand new person. You can live a life of no regrets. Here's the first one. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. I was reading a book by Pastor Kyle Eidelman, and he was telling a story about how he got into a fight with his wife. They were arguing about something, and he got so mad, he punched a hole through the door of his bedroom closet. And then he did what most of us would do in that situation. He covered it up, went and bought a mirror. Just hung it over the door. If you're a pastor, you don't want people coming to your house and being like, hey, what's the hole in your wall for? And you have to tell them you punched it. So he threw up a mirror, but one night the mirror broke, shattered at like two in the morning. And Eidelman writes this in his book. He said, I could see my own reflection in the broken pieces, and the metaphor was hard for me to miss. He said, I like to think of myself as patient and kind and a humble man who doesn't take myself too seriously. That's how I see myself, and that's the image I want others to have of me, especially my wife. But he says, I bent down and started picking up the broken piece of the mirror, and I couldn't help but see myself in the pieces. I wish I could go back and do it differently, but I will forever be the husband who got mad and put his fist through a door. No need to raise any hands, but how many of you would say, boy, I feel that. I feel that, that forever. You look at your life, you go, forever I'm going to be the person who got angry and made a fool of myself. Forever I'm going to be the guy who got my girlfriend pregnant and then I begged her not to have the baby. Forever I'm going to be the person who had the affair. Forever I'm going to be the person who got arrested. And who has a record forever. If you feel that way today, here's what you need to know. Your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 15 says, Make sure that no one misses out on God's grace. You can miss out on a lot of things in life. You're going to be just fine. Don't miss out on God's grace. What a tragedy to go through life and you're going to church and you consider yourself a Christian, but the whole time you're missing out on God's grace. How does a person miss out on God's grace? Well, first of all, they cover their sin instead of confess their sin. And then while they're covering their sin, they're trying to do enough good works to somehow appease God and be accepted by God. And the whole while they're doing these good works to try to balance out the bad things that they did, they are missing out on God's grace. The morning that Eidelman was picking up the mirror that had broken in his bedroom, he said to his wife, he said, I just feel led to tell this story in church. He said, I'm a little bit embarrassed. I mean, what are people going to think? Like the pastor punched a hole in the wall. And his wife looked at him and she said, trust me, 
we're not the only ones with a few holes in the wall. And so he got up and he gave the message and he told the story. And afterwards, he was standing down front and a leader from their church started walking down the aisle right towards him. And he kind of put his head down like, oh boy. And this leader from their church walked up to him, hugged him, and kind of said in his ear, there's a painting in my bedroom that is covering a hole that I put there. And when they were done talking, he said there was five other men lined up to share a similar story. Friends, if you stopped covering and you started confessing, you would experience the freedom that only Jesus Christ can offer to a person. And you would know in the core of your being that your biggest sins are not too big for God's grace. Here's the second truth that I hope you can internalize today. And it says, you can't change your past, but Christ can change your future. I was reading a story in the New York Times a few years ago. It was about this Jesuit priest who started an organization to help gang members remove tattoos. Started when a man named Father Boyle noticed a lot of the young men in his church were getting involved in gangs, they were losing their life. And so he started to try to help many of them get out of that lifestyle, but he ran into a permanent problem. Gang tattoos. It was a permanent reminder, you are a gang member. It, it, it defined them. Until one day a doctor donated a laser removal machine and his time. And at 9 o'clock, they set up shop and began to remove tattoos from these gang members. And when they first started, they had a waiting list of 3,000. Why would 3,000 gang members wait in line, be on a waiting list to have a tattoo removed? Because they wanted a new start. They wanted to remove old labels. Let me ask you, are there any old labels that you carry with you? that you would love to remove. Maybe throughout your life you have just felt, I'm unlovable. And you don't know why you have that label of yourself. Maybe it was something from your childhood or relationships. But for whatever reason, you just carry this label, I'm unlovable. It's who I am. You carry with you this label, I'm a failure. I don't have what it takes. I've always just been a mess up. I'm just, I'm just a person who got arrested and an ex-con. I mean, that's, it's just who I am. What is the label in your life that you need to burn that ship? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you have to be in Christ. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. And the old has gone, and the new is here. You can have a fresh start. You can be a new creation, and it happens by the power of Jesus Christ. I was reading through the Old Testament, and I came across this verse in the book of Joel. It's Joel 20, or verse 2, verse 25, and it, here's God speaking, and he says this, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. And you read that, and you're like, well, what are you talking about the years the locusts have eaten? Well, it was an agricultural society. And so when locusts would eat the crop, that was a problem. 
Not only did that destroy the crop from this year, but it destroyed the seed that they were using for the crop next year. This was devastating. They would lose years economically in their life and in their business. And here's God saying, I will repay you for the years that the locusts have eaten. Have the locusts eaten anything in your life? I'm not talking about literal locusts. I'm saying, have you missed out on something? Do you feel like you've been left out on something? Maybe you're a high school student, middle school, maybe you're in college and you look at the other kids in your school and you're like, they're not obeying God. They're off doing all kinds of sin and yet they seem happy and they've got lots of friends. And yet I'm over here obeying God and I feel lonely and left out. And I want you to know God's going to honor your obedience. He can restore years that you feel like you may have lost. Maybe you're an alcoholic and the last couple years have just been foggy. Wouldn't it be something if God could restore the years that have been lost in your life? Author Daniel Pink, who I referenced earlier, this article from the Wall Street Journal, he says this about regret. He says, if done right, regret doesn't need to drag us down. He says, regret clarifies. Regret instructs. How does regret instruct? Well, you realize, well, I don't want to do that again. And then he says, regret can lift us up. I like how the Bible says it even more. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins to him, to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of every wrong. Wouldn't that be something? If you could confess your sin to God, and not only would you feel a sense of forgiveness, but he would cleanse you. And you would become a new creation in Christ. I am telling you, it's possible. It is possible to be free from your regret and live a life of no regret. Starts for many of us with a relationship with Jesus. I mentioned earlier, you have to be in Christ. If you have never prayed to put your faith in Jesus Christ before, that's the first step. It's the first step of living a life of no regret. So I want to pray for you in just a moment. And when I get done praying, if you get a chance after church, would you text the word BEGIN to 77888? And here's why. We have some free resources. We want to help you grow in your faith. And when I'm done praying, I've invited the worship team out. And we are going to sing a song called More Than Able. And I want you just to sit under this song and I want it to speak to you. I'm praying that God would just do something in your heart as you listen to this song. Because some of us believe here today, God couldn't forgive me. For the things I did, God, he might be able to forgive someone else. He's not going to forgive me. And I want you to know today, God is more than able. And there is nothing impossible for him. And so as you receive this song, I just want you to know that God is able to cleanse you and forgive you when you confess your sins. And I want you to know God is not done with you yet. Let's pray together as we close. God, there are some of us here who have deep regret. It's kind of, it's just painful even to think about it, God. Every time it comes up, it just there's something in us that's like, oh, it just hurts. 
God, I pray today that you would set us free. You are more than able. You are more than able to cleanse us. You are more than able to forgive us. You are more than able, God, to make us a brand new creation in Christ. God, there are some of us here today who have never had a moment to put their faith in Jesus. And they're just going to pray quietly with me in their mind. God, right now, I confess my sin to you. I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And God, I, I trust him. I want to follow Jesus. God, I pray that you would make me a new creation, that the old would be gone and the new would come. And that my old life would be like a ship that's been burned. God, I don't want to go back to it. I want to step into the new life that you have for me. And so I'm asking God right now that you would save me and send your spirit into me. God, for others of us here, we need to be reminded during this song that you are more than able. Nothing is impossible for you. It may feel like we can't be forgiven. It may feel like we can't be set free from our regrets. But God, it is possible. And so right now we remember your power and nothing is impossible for you, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Sit under this song and let God speak to you.
sing together today, you are more. That you are more than able. You are more than able. You are more. You are more than able. God, thank you that those words are so much more than just a song, but they're a truth that we can build our lives on. And so would you help us to be people who bring you and give you our regrets and our fears, to entrust our lives fully to the care of your hands. And so as we go from this place, we invite you to make your presence really known to us that we'd have a keen sense and awareness that you're with us and that you're for us and that you walk beside us. We love you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer for anything, we'll have prayer teams available down front. Have a great week, everybody.